Hello, and welcome to Journeying Through the Bible Podcast, a podcast where we walk through God's Word together. Thank you for listening. Today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Mark. Today we are in Mark chapter 6 as we continue our journey. Mark chapter 6 is a very interesting chapter as it has some of the more uh, well-known stories. We've actually been through a few of them with Jesus calming the storm at the end of chapter 4, Jesus healing the demon, uh, the demonically possessed man with legion in chapter 5. We're going to have Jesus heal, uh, walking on water in chapter 6. We're going to have Jesus feeding the 5,000 in chapter 6. So we, we have some very well-known stories we're going to be jumping into. But he starts out in probably a less well-known story, but one that's still important. He goes away from there where he was. So he had just healed Jairus' daughter, raises her back to life. Every you know everybody's he tells him to be quiet. Everybody that's with him's in awe and wonder. And he and he goes away from there, and he comes back to his hometown in Nazareth. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, as he does, and as the theme has been going, he begins to teach in the synagogue. This is something we see a lot out of Jesus. Where he goes, he teaches. And many who heard him were astonished. Now here's the the difference. As many were astonished before, they're astonished at what he's done and what he said, a teaching with a new authority. Even the unclean spirits obey him. Even the winds and the waves obey him, and they're astonished. But here, they're astonished, but they're going to be asking some questions the others did not ask. The other accounts where they say they were astonished, they tell what they were astonished about. But here, they're astonished at where does he get off being like this? So watch watch the questions that come in in verse 2. Where did this man get these things? So in answering the question, who is Jesus, right, Mark has been answering that he is the one who is the Son of God. He is the good news. He is the one who teaches with all authority. He is the one that the spirits obey. He, he is the one that the winds and the waves obey. He is the one that there is no physical sickness that has authority beyond his authority to heal it. He is the one who all creation is subjected to. And they ask where, their answer to the question, I guess, is where does he get off being like this, teaching like this, speaking like this? Well, why do they say that? Well, here's the reason. What, what, how are such mighty works done by his hands? So you can already see it. They're, they're kind of heading the wrong direction here in their questioning. Is this not the carpenter? And so there you go. We've arrived at the problem. They're not asked, They're not astonished because he's doing amazing things. They're astonished because they're like, isn't he just the son of a carpenter? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? We know these guys. You know, is he not just just that? Are, are not his sisters here with us? And and they took offense at him. So even more interesting is they begin asking the questions of, is this not just? Jesus the carpenter? Yeah, how's he teaching these things? How, where'd he get them from? Where's he doing these mighty works from? And, and at the end of it all, they're like, they're offended by it. They're not just amazed. They're, they're not astonished because what Jesus is doing is truly astonishing. They're not astonished that he's teaching with authority they've never heard before. 
They're not astonished that he is healing with a power that they've never seen before. They are astonished because they're going, who is this guy think he is? We know him. We know his family. Where does he get off being like this, doing these things? He's hiding something, and they're offended. They're not astonished to the point of going, something amazing is happening here. They're not astonished thinking the Messiah has come. They're astonished and offended. Oh, I hope that when we answer the question in our own lives, who is Jesus, that we don't go, I'm offended by the fact, the things that he say. And in fact, if as you look around at social media today, that tends to be a, a problem. People are offended by what Jesus is saying, what he's doing, and who he thinks he is. So the very answer to the question that Mark gives, who is Jesus, is offensive to our world today. It was offensive back then, I, I guess you could say, and it's offensive today because if Jesus truly is the Son of God and what he says does have authority and does have power in our lives, we're not okay. And the way we live is not okay. And the reason why that's so offensive to the world is that means he, he, can, he has the authority to tell me I'm wrong. And we live in a society where we're like, I don't think so. I'm the authority in my own life. And they don't like the idea that Jesus is the true authority. And they're offended by what he's saying. And, and what he's saying, this teaching is amazing. They're amazed by it. But they're offended because they're like, I know you. I don't like you know where you came from. I don't. We know your family. Who do, you, who do you think you are? We're offended at this. And so what you would not expect is that they took offense at him. And I hope that as Christians, we don't take offense at what Jesus says, even if it convicts us. But it also helps us to understand those who don't believe, they do take offense to what Jesus says. Jesus is not a neutral character. You, you can't sit on the fence of history and go, Jesus, I could take him or leave him. It's whether you fully accept him or you take offense at him and reject his kingliness. And they've rejected his kingliness. And, and here, and here, here's Jesus' response. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could not do my, a mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled. Not because of their faith. Remember, he, he looks at their, the faith of the four men that bring the paralytic, and he says, your faith has made you healed, or made you whole, sorry. Uh, he, he marvels at the, the faith of the woman that just says, if I could just reach out and touch his robe, and that was in the last chapter, and he says, your faith has healed you. And yet here he marvels because of their unbelief. I mean, those are sad words. I mean, could you imagine the king of all creation marveling at your unbelief? How tragic a story is this, that he looks at his family, he looks at his hometown, those who knew him well, and he marvels at their unbelief. So much so it hinders his work. Now, I don't believe it hinders his work in the sense that we can hinder the work of God, but I think he was so, you know, Marvel. He's so in, struck by the fact that they would not believe him like that, that he, he just didn't do a lot of works there except to heal a few. And I think that was just out of his extreme compassion and mercy on people, that he, he just felt like, I'm going to do something. But he marveled at their unbelief, and it, 
to the point that he just it completely hindered what he was wanting to do. And I don't again, I don't think he was hindered by their like their power. They had power over him, but I think that there was a sense that extreme unbelief it it, it does not limit, but it causes problems in terms of the work of God. Now, in your own life, just think about this unbelief, hardness of heart. You know, God can work despite that. He, he doesn't need you to believe in the sense that you're that important, but your unbelief and the hardness of your heart can certainly s- slow down and, and change the work of God in your life. I mean, God wants to do all these things in your life, and he's wanting to work through you, and he wants you to be a conduit for which his grace flows, but because of the hardness of your heart, it's not there. The works aren't being done. Now, that's to your own detriment, and I think the issue is he could have healed many. He could have cast out many demons, but because of the hardness of their heart, he does not. Because the hardness of their heart has led them to a place where they've missed out. And I think maybe that's what I've been trying to say is that when the hardness of our heart and the hardness of their hearts, they miss out on the work of God. And they missed out on what Jesus could have done in their lives. And I and I just I think that's a good warning for us that we don't let the hardness of our heart and our unbelief well up within us, that we would miss the work of, of God in our lives. And that it would hinder the work of God in our lives. Well, so now Jesus goes on in verse seven as we as we continue to scamper through chapter six here. I know I, I would love to spend a lot more time on this, and I'd like to spend a lot more time on a lot of what we talk about. But again, I'm trying to do this all in about twenty minutes, so we're trying to get the whole chapter in, and that's kind of the goal of this podcast. This is a walk through of the highlights of the chapter. It's not an exhaustive study by any stretch of the imagination. But in verse 7, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gives them authority over unclean spirits. Now remember, um, in chapter, I think, 3, he calls the disciples to himself, those whom he desired to be with, so that they would be with him, and that he might send them out and have authority to cast out demons. So remember that, and now plug that into what we have here, those whom he called, those whom he desired to be with, he is sending out, and he's giving them that authority over unclean spirits. And and they go, and he, he gives them some instructions about, you know, what to wear, what to take, and it's this idea of faith. You don't take two tunics, tunics just take one, because it will be provided for you. And there's more detail in other Gospels about how he sends them out, but he says, he, he gives them this instruction, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place does not receive you, then they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust on your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and they proclaimed. Well, what did they proclaim? People should repent. Very similar to what Jesus was proclaiming in chapter 1. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they go out and they say, repent. And Jesus is saying, those who do not listen to you, do not receive you, do not receive your word, shake the dust off your feet and continue going. By the way, that's what Jesus is doing. He, he goes and those who reject him, he just goes to the next place and he, and he proclaims the same message. Repent. That is a at the heart of the, the gospel of Mark, to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so it's interesting that Jesus gives them this authority to heal and this authority to cast out demons. And they do. Part of their ministry was proclaiming first. Notice the first thing he says, they proclaimed. But they also cast out demons. They also healed as an extension of Jesus' ministry. 
And then you kind of have this stark change in, in verse 14. So you get seven verses about Jesus sending out his disciples. And then you're going to have a story in the middle, and then the disciples will return. So the story in the middle, I think, is a deepening. It deepens the, the question, who is Jesus? So let me point it out. King Herod heard of it, heard of Jesus' miracles, his teaching. People were, were talking about it. And, and he heard, for Jesus' name had become known, and, and he said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. So Herod's answer to who is Jesus would, oh my goodness, he's the risen John the Baptist. Well, why would he say that? Well, Mark's going to tell us uh, in just a minute, but before he does, he says that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, because he's been raised from the dead. But others were set, have said, they answer the question who Jesus is, he's Elijah. And others said, no, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. Now, interestingly, in Matthew 8, when Peter, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Oh, some people say you're John the Baptist, you're the prophet, you know, you're, or the other prophets. They say almost the exact same thing, and I think Mark is kind of playing off of that. But, but people were really talking. They were giving their answers for who Jesus is because it's an important question. It's the question where eternity hangs in the balance. And some were saying John the Baptist. Some were saying Elijah. Some were saying he's a prophet. And like the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I have beheaded, has been raised. For Herod, who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because he had married her. In verse 18, For in this you get this kind of odd backstory. And I, I do, I did, you know, the Bible's full of these kind of odd backstories where you're like, wow, that's weird. So King Herod essentially really likes his brother's wife, and John very boldly says, no, you can't have her. That's wrong. And it, it, she's angry about this. He is kind of this mixture of he doesn't like being told no, but Herod is also very enamored with what John the Baptist is saying. I kind of like this uh, in verse 20. It said, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe from Herodias. And he heard him, and when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him with heard him gladly. So he was complex, but he was really glad to hear him. And and I think it's interesting. It it's like he he didn't like what John was saying, because John was saying, You're wrong, you can't do this, you can't have her. And at the same time, when John would speak, Herod would be very interested in what he said. And so that's the situation. He's in prison, mainly for his own protection. Uh, Herod pretty much continues to go after his brother's wife and gets her because he's the king. And an opportunity comes up where Herodias sends her daughter in, and she dances. It pleases the king. He makes a vow um, in front of all his friends and generals that, oh, I'll give you every, anything you want, up to half the kingdom. And I'm just paraphrasing here. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head. Well, Herod didn't want to do that, but this is a shame-based culture. And he had made a vow in front of all his, his generals and his finest soldiers and all the politicians that were with him. And for him to back out on that would be a big deal because it would be like, you know, hey, wait a minute, you gave her your word, and now you're going to back out on your word. How do we know you're, you're not going to back out on stuff that you've given to us or told us? And so honor is at stake here. And so he's been kind of tricked into doing what he did not want to do, and he goes, okay, fine, and he sends for John's execution. They bring his head on a silver platter, you know, some just weird stuff, and his Herodias is happy, Herod not so much, 
and her and Herod to the point he's he's afraid because now that we've had this backstory, we cycle back. Jesus is teaching. People are saying, "Oh, it's John the Baptist. Oh, it's it's Elijah." And Herod's like, "Oh no, it is John the Baptist, and he's risen from the dead. He's afraid." Um, well, the answer to that question is no. Jesus is not John the Baptist risen from the dead. He's not Elijah. He's much more than just a prophet. But but people are are asking and, and they're giving their own answers to the question, "Who is Jesus?" And so when John's the when John John the Baptist's disciples hear that he's dead, they come take his body and, and lay it in a tomb. I think that's important too because hey, spoiler alert, Jesus will also die and his body will also be laid in the tomb. But the difference is John the Baptist stayed in that tomb without a head I, I'd imagine. Jesus walked out of the tomb. And I don't think that's an accident when Mark talks about them laying his body in a tomb. I think he's setting up John the Baptist was laid in a tomb. No, he did not raise from the dead. But here's the irony. Jesus will raise from the dead. He's not dead yet, but when he dies, he will walk out. And interestingly enough, Herod will be one of the ones that sentences Jesus to death, and yet Jesus will rise from the dead. They will lay his body in a tomb, but he won't stay there. John the Baptist did. And I think that's this an interesting kind of connection to the end of the book of Mark in verse 29 of chapter 6. And now we jump back to verse 30, and suddenly the apostles, those who have been sent out, remember in chapter 3 he calls them apostles, uh, have returned to Jesus, and, and they told them all that they had done and taught. They're excited. It had been a neat time of ministry where they go out and they proclaim repent. People are repenting. They're casting out demons. They're healing people. They're genuinely excited about this, and they should be. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. There's an importance in Jesus' ministry that even in the busyness of ministry to get away and rest. Jesus does it in chapter 1. People are coming out. They're, they're, they're pushing into him, and he's healing many night and day. And he, and he wakes up early the next day, and he gets out to a desolate place. And people are looking for him, but he's praying. And, and he does it several times. And here, the disciples come back. They're very excited. They're tired, and he, he goes, let's get out to a desolate place, and let's rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And so other people are now so excited, they're just, they keep coming to him. And Jesus is like, you need to eat, you need to take care of yourself. Rest is important. And I think for ministry, in the life of, of someone in ministry, which should be any, any and all members of the church, there's a time you need to get away and rest and just be in the presence of God. And I think Jesus demonstrates that necessity here as he calls them to do the same. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran their own foot. So they, they show up on the next port, and everybody's there because they ran their own foot. And all the towns got there ahead of them. And when, uh, when he, this Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. This is another time where we, we kind of get this cool picture that Jesus has compassion on people. Why does he have compassion on them? Watch. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he sees this. And he began to do what all sheep need to herd them together and to protect them. In this case, teach them. And he began to teach them many things. And it grew late, and the disciples came to him and said, oh, you know, this is a desolate place, and an hour, the hour is now late. Send them away so they might go eat. In verse 37, he answers them, you give them something to eat. Well, there's no McDonald's around, so the disciples are perplexed by this, and they're like, well, 
you say to us, give them something to eat. What are we supposed to do? Run into a town and buy a 200 denarii worth of bread? I mean, we don't have that kind of cash. And, and how are we going to carry all that back? There's a lot of people here, Jesus. Like, you didn't notice? And Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Well, when they find out, they went with the results are not promising. They have five loaves and two fish. And he commands them to sit down. And he gets them all in groups. And he begins to break the loaves. And as he does, they keep serving until everyone is full. They've eaten to their fill, uh, both the loaves and the fish. And now here's the interesting thing. They begin to take up the leftovers. There are five loaves of bread. And now they're taking up leftovers. And there's 12 baskets full of leftovers. And if you're reading this story, here's the funny part. No one seems to notice the fact there are 12 baskets of leftovers, which is more bread than they started with. No one noticed. It never says that the crowd notices. It never even says that the disciples noticed that something was happening here. And those that ate were 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children. And then verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsheba, uh, Bethsaida, sorry, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. So he's dismissing the crowd. They get in a boat and they go to the next place. And after he had taken leave of them, that's the crowd, he went up to a mountain. He began to pray. Jesus had an emphasis that prayer was important. And the evening came. It gets, you know, it was already late. Now it's really late. Uh, he looks out, and this is kind of a, a neat scene as we get ready to close today's uh, episode. He he looks out, and he he, he sees his, his guys on a boat struggling in the wind because they're going against the wind, and, and they're just making headway painfully. They're struggling. This is They're tired. They really want to get the rest, and it's just not going well for them. And he's watching them, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, this is interesting, too, and this raises questions in my mind. He, he, he meant to pass by them. Well, why not, why not go to the boat? And I think it's interesting that he almost meant to pass by them so that they might see him and go, Jesus is walking on water. We'll have faith that we'll get there or something. I don't, but it does bring questions in my mind. Why, why did he not intend to go to them but pass them? And I, I just I find that very interesting, perhaps a topic for another episode, another day. But for they all saw him and they were terrified, and yet he immediately spoke and said, Take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceases, and they were utterly amazed that the wind ceased and that he was walking on water. And interesting, verse 52, which should again cause questions for us, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And that's been a theme in this chapter, the hardness of hearts. You see, the people at the beginning of chapter 1 in his hometown had hard hearts, and they did not understand. And yet the people, the disciples, those whom he called, he desired to be with, they don't understand. They don't understand that he performed a miracle with the loaves. They don't understand that he can walk on water. They've seen him do incredible things, and yet they're amazed and astounded that he walked on water. And it ends with him crossing over uh, to the next seashore, and he gets out. And again, people recognize him. A crowd forms. They begin to bring sick people to him. They recognize him. And I, I don't think Mark said that unintentionally. The disciples don't recognize him at first. No, given they were, it was late. They were on the water, and Jesus walking on water. I get it, but they, they don't recognize him. But the people there, when he lands, they recognize him. They bring their sick out. And they laid the sick in the marketplaces, and they implored him that they might even, if they could just touch the fringe of the garment, notice the faith, if I could just touch the fringe of your garment, I'll be healed. And as many as touched it, 
that's the garment, were made well. Because there was a faith in saying, if I could just touch the garment. And yet his disciples seem to miss that. His disciples have missed all of this. And he's going to call them out constantly. You, you have no faith. You have little faith. Do you not get it yet? And I wish we had more time to discuss this, but that is all for today's episode as we've made it to the end of chapter 6. Again, a lot of topics for another day. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, you can listen to us on Spotify and a few other places like Google Podcasts. Uh, we will be getting on Apple Podcasts soon. But again, thank you for the episode. Uh, thank you for listening to the episode, and I hope to see you next time on Journey Through the Bible. <laughs>